Shalom, y'all. Having a good morning? I'm having a great time. Thank you so much for the privilege of being here. We're going to be understanding more about our redemption, even as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's resurrection. For the resurrection was the guarantee, proof positive, that his death in our place was accepted by God the Father for our sins. The resurrection is our guarantee. And so the redemption helps us to understand how much God loves us, the price that was paid that we might have a relationship with the living God now and forever. And so we want to understand more about redemption even as we study together the great truths of God's word. Uh, if you received your bulletin, as the pastor mentioned, you want to take it out just about now. And I hope as well you got one of these envelopes, which we'll mention later. If you didn't get one of these envelopes, I don't know how you'll make it through this service. It just seems you'll have a hard time. But nonetheless, let's take a look at the scriptures that we have in our bulletin that prepare us as we participate and partake in God's truth of his Passover. From Luke chapter 22, verse 7 and following. Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large, furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them. Isn't that the truth? Don't we always find it just the way Jesus said it would be? Let's conclude that verse when it says there, they found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Notice how often the Lord reiterates and repeats the word prepare in this section of Scripture. The principle is simple for our lives. You can't have any better participation unless you have a full preparation. You need to be properly prepared in order to participate in the very blessings of the Lord. So we want to bring our hearts before God, offering to him the upper room of our souls, that he might prepare us as we grow together in, in the understanding of his love through the redemption we have in the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, how thankful we are that you loved us so much that you redeemed us through the blood of the Lamb. By the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, we are saved. Thank you, Lord. Now help us to grow even more in the redemption we have in the Messiah. Not merely for our own edification, but to the overflow that we might become even more effective as your instruments of good news, that we might not only enjoy the redemption, but understand the relationship we have with God and the responsibility to share the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to all with ears to hear. To the Jew first, but not to the Jew only. So add your blessing to our considerations for we ask it for the Messiah's sake and to the glory of his name. Amen. Amen. They went and they prepared the Passover. 
But what kind of preparations needed? You'll notice it says it was a fully furnished upper room. What preparations are needed? Well, the main preparation then and now in every home that celebrates Passover is the same thing. The home must be cleansed, fully cleansed from every crumb of any leavened bread, any yeasted baked goods, donuts, cupcakes, whatever. They have to be removed from the home before Passover can be partaken. You say, I don't understand why. Well, the only bread product we eat during Passover is unleavened bread. And there's two reasons for that. First, a historical reason. As we look back about 3,500 years ago, we see my brethren, according to my flesh, about to be redeemed by God's mighty arm from bondage in Egypt. But he tells them to be ready to move at a moment's notice at his command. They didn't have the luxury of waiting around for bread to rise with leaven therein. Maybe you understand. How many people have ever baked bread? Raise your hand. Is the baker's convention on this side? What happened to this side? Over here. I'll talk to these guys for a while. What happens when you move the bread too quickly before it's fully risen? What happens? You have the fall of humanity pictured right there. Therefore, they ate unleavened bread. The scripture calls it the bread of haste, Deuteronomy 16, because they had to be ready to move at God's command. The same can be said for us. We can afford to have any leaven in our loaves because we too are waiting for his call. I'm looking for the upper taker, aren't you? And so understand the issue, the second reason about leaven in the loaf. Leaven in the scriptures, yeast in the Bible, is a picture of unbelief, pride, uh, sin, corruption, death. Beware of the leaven of the false teachers. What do you mean? False teaching will puff you up. Only love will edify you, and so we want to understand. Leaven, a picture of sin, has to be removed. Unleavened bread is all that we eat. Therefore, we understand the reason for the preparation. But the very significance of that preparation is what the Apostle Paul used to instruct the Corinthians about their walk with God. Notice what we have in, the, in your bulletin here. From 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and following, he says here to them, your boasting is not good. They were boasting about their sins, not mourning over them, not repenting of them. They foolishly thought that they were so free in Jesus that they can do sin without guilt. No, Jesus has come. We are saved from sin, not saved to sin. We are delivered from that bondage of sin. That's why he goes on to say here, do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? But I only sinned on Thursday. It'll affect you for the rest of the week and the rest of your life. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. All of the first century churches were keeping the festivals of Israel, especially Passover, 
It all points to Jesus. Let us keep the feast, he says, not with the old leaven, that's the traditionalism, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, sin, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let us keep the feast. Passover is a New Testament feast. Therefore, why? Because it points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You say, well, what do you mean? Understand we are called by God to keep the feast. Let us rejoice in our redemption. Let us celebrate our salvation. But let us not make a mockery of our faith. How do we do that? If we celebrate our salvation with leaven in the loaf, with with unconfessed sin in our souls. You say, well, what do you mean? We're a Baptist group here. We actually believe we have an eternal salvation. Well, me too. But the whole purpose of our salvation was to bring us into a relationship with God. And it's that we walk with him in relationship with him as we abide in him. That's where the blessings are. That's where we have our blessings. But unconfessed sin, it breaks the intimacy of our relationship and we're back to religion again. But God wants better for us. And so we're called to confess our sins. For he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. You say, well, well, what do you mean here? In our hearts even today, there must be a proper preparation for there to be a full participation, even as we look forward to the Lord's Supper, which is our proclamation of his death until he comes. We want to make sure our hearts are right with God as well, because preparation is essential for participation. Let's understand, once the Passover meal begins, the head of the house would be dressed as I'm dressed, Someone thought I was an out-of-work butcher from Charlotte. No, no, no. This is the traditional garments, the kittle, the robe. Now I represent my family as a priest before God as I lead them in prayer during the Passover. And on my head, you say, what's that for? To cover your bald spot? I need a helmet for that. No, the kippah, the yarmulke, that's a symbol of my submission to the Lord. And so, therefore, seated here at the head of the table. And we all would have a cup before us, but we would drink from it four times. That's why I have four cups here as a reminder to all of us that the Passover contains the fourfold blessing of redemption found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And that is how your bulletin is outlined in order to understand it. Each one of the cups that we drink from contain another blessing regarding our redemption. And now across from the head of the table, there's a seat that's traditionally left empty. Cup before it untouched. This cup and the seat all await one person, Eliyahu Hanovi, Elijah the prophet who according to tradition will come at Passover time and his coming will just precede the coming of the Messiah himself. Now this tradition is taken from the prophets Isaiah and Malachi where we read of the herald of the Lord who will come to prepare the way of our God just before God visits his people. 
Now, if we read on in the New Testament, we see that the ministry of the herald of the Lord was fulfilled. Who's the one who came and prepared the way of the Lord? What was his name? Anybody remember his name? John what? John the Baptist. I thought you'd get his last name. I just thought you might do that. John, when he saw Jesus, he proclaimed. He heralded to all with ears to hear. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But as many as would not accept Jesus as the Messiah, they therefore would not be accepting of John as the herald of the Messiah. And so a seat is left waiting for one who biblically and historically came long ago. We'll discuss him a bit more later on. But I want us to remember that the first cup is called the cup, you'll notice, of sanctification, as we are setting ourselves apart, and the blessing I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And the first cup is blessed. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. L'chaim. Pastor Scott, you got the good stuff this year. Welch is 53. Mm. Why, what were you thinking? During this first cup, the head of the house would use a certain book called the Haggadah. Haggadah. Let's say that word Haggadah together. You ready? Haggadah. One, two, three. Okay. Haggadah means the telling. Because in the book of Exodus, the parents are commanded by God to tell their children every year of the mighty works God performed to deliver God's people from bondage, the Haggadah. It contains the, not just the outline that you have in your bulletin, but all the details, the songs, the prayers, the scriptures, etc. We have developed our own Haggadah for you, the Messianic Passover Haggadah. So in your Sunday school class or in your homes, you can learn more and even celebrate a full Passover. In fact, we're going to be doing a full, complete Passover. You're all invited to. If you go to our website, uh, you'll be given that information later on on the screen. You'll be able to get information about a big Passover Seder that you can be involved in. But nonetheless, you can do it. it do it all by yourself and have a great time with your family or your Sunday school class. During this first cup, uh, we speak about the elements on the Passover plate. Each of the elements reminds us of why we had to have be redeemed, why we needed redemption, because of the bitter herbs that we eat from. We remember the bitterness of bondage, and therefore we always want to remember just why we needed redemption. We can take things for granted a little too much sometimes and forget the desperate need we have that God met through Messiah that we might be delivered from bondage. And so we want to understand that. But then how God redeemed us there at the end of the first cup, we want to remember a very secret, almost a mysterious ceremony. It was certainly mysterious to me when I was growing up. We would all celebrate Passover, of course, uh, in our homes, in our grandfather's home, my dad, wherever we were we gather as a family, all squeezed in together. And at this point in the Passover, uh, they would lift up the echad, the unity. 
uh, the bag containing three slices of unleavened bread. Nope, not going to do that. No, no, that gets me in trouble too many places. So understand the three slices of unleavened bread. Always three inside the one bag. I was always wondering growing up, why three? How about two? Why not four? Every year I was taught another tradition of why it had to be three inside the one. One year I was taught that it represented the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as the middle patriarch, Isaac, was taken out for a sacrifice in Genesis 22, so the middle slice of unleavened bread, that one alone is taken out of the bag and held up. Another year I was taught how the three-in-one represented the people, the priesthood, and the Lord God himself. And how the middle section, the middle piece, the priesthood, represented the sacrifices that the priests made to reconcile God and man. And at that point, the middle slice is held up and it is declared from Deuteronomy 16, this is the bread of our affliction, and it is broken. Half goes back into the bag. But the other half is then taken and wrapped in a white linen cloth and then hidden away, buried, until the third cup. And at the third cup, the youngsters look for that broken piece of bread because the child who finds it gets a reward from the head of the house. You say, well, that's interesting, but why bother? Understand the very value of the ceremony and what it's meant to say. The great three-in-one. From where I sit now, it pictures what our God has done for us as the Messiah. As the Messiah, the middle piece, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. How he came, died on our behalf, was wrapped in a white linen shroud, covered, buried until the third day, at which time he was raised bodily from the dead, giving gifts unto the sons of men. And all who find him, all who lay hold of him by faith, receive not some small reward from the head of the house, but the unspeakable gift, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with the living God now and forever. But don't miss the point of the mystery. In order to find him, in order to lay hold of him, in order to get that unspeakable gift, you need to have simple, sincere faith like a child. You say, but this is a cynical world, I know. You need simple, sincere faith, despite the way of this world, trusting what God has done for us. The second cup, blessed as the first, a cup of plagues. You say, I don't want that. Remember, what were plagues for the non-believers there in Egypt were actual blessings and miracles for the people of God. God knows the difference between those who are his and those who ain't. During this cup, we remember what God has done to redeem us. And we take a look at some portions of Scripture. You'll notice in your bulletin, several sections under the second cup of plagues. You'll notice the issue, he says, Exodus 4.22. 
God gives Moses instruction regarding the plagues and why the last plague was so important, the slaying of the firstborn. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me. But you refuse to let him go. Behold, I'll kill your son, your firstborn. Isn't that horrible? You say, well, what's the point? Understand the issue of judgment. We must understand the issues of judgment to appreciate the need for our redemption. Fill in the blank for me. That which a man sows, this also will he reap. What you sow is what you reap. Judgment is fair. What they did to Israel, God, God's firstborn of the nations, would be done to their firstborn, because what you sow is what you reap. And therefore, you have to understand the vital importance that judgment is coming. Your sin will find you out. No one is going to go without judgment. Understanding that, we can come to appreciate the need and the provision for our redemption. Because if you're not concerned about judgment, why would you care about redemption? And so we understand then the teaching of the redemption. Notice what we see in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3. Moses says, speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, keep that in mind. He says, it's just a detail. How many people believe all scripture is inspired of God and profitable. Raise your hand. Okay, we'll try to get you all on the same page in a moment here. On the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be unblemished, a male a year old, unblemished male a year old, and you shall keep it that way you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the, of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Notice the matter. On what date in verse 3 did they select the lamb? Shout it out. What date in verse, what is it? On the 10th of the month. And then they had to keep it until they slaughtered it on what date did they slaughter the lamb? On the 14th. They had to keep this lamb from the 10th until the 14th of the month in order to then have a perfect lamb. They kept it. They were to observe it. It had to be unblemished without any spot or wrinkle, so to speak. A perfect lamb. You say, oh, what's the point of all this? The Lord Jesus entered Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And what do we normally call that Sunday? What do we call that Sunday into Jerusalem and the cult of a donkey? Shout it out. Palm Sunday. Mark is the only gospel writer who tells us that when they entered Jerusalem and the cult of a donkey, it was around evening time. The day on the Hebrew calendar begins at evening. That evening was the 10th of the month. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, offering himself as the humble one, as a lamb for Israel. And from the 10th until the 14th, he was inspected. He was questioned. He was interrogated. He was tortured. 
Until finally on the 14th of the month, the head of government stood up and said, I find no fault in him. And he's declared to be fit to be the lamb of redemption, our Passover lamb. Isn't God good? The very details of scripture are fulfilled in Jesus. So God knows the details of your life as well. And if you will trust him with your life, he can provide blessing in all the areas that you may think of inconsequential, not in the hands of our living God. Understand the death of the lamb on the 14th was not the last word on the subject. Notice what it says in verse 7. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood of that lamb. They took the blood of that lamb. And they uh, put, put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Now we are informed in that chapter, verse 22, in that same chapter 22, that the blood would be there at the foot of the door in a basin. In fact, the word basin means threshold in the Hebrew. There at the threshold of the door, they took that blood and they were to apply it to the two sides and to the top of the doorway. And the blood applied in that way, well, isn't that yucky? Don't try this at home. You say, well, what, what do you mean? Imagine what they say about this church. If you start putting blood on your doors, there go property values down the tank. But understand, what in the world is God doing with such a strange, strange ceremony? Verse 13 explains it to us. Notice what God says to Moses. Verse 13, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague shall be for you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I see the blood. Isn't it interesting? God says, I want to see the blood. But Lord, don't you know what's in my heart? God wants us to confess our faith even while we're on this side of the promised land. You say, well, uh, that'll get me in trouble or whatever. No, no. We fear God more than man, more than public opinion, and we are bold on the truth of who God is. And therefore, Jesus said, if we do not confess him before men, he will not confess us before the heavenly Father. And so the blood had to be placed on that door. There was the sign of the redemption, the blood that would be applied as the scripture details it out, would be applied to the two sides in the top of the door. And that blood-stained door would grip our attention through the word of God as we see what the Lord would do for us, would he not? as the prophets all utilize this to speak of the Messiah. In Psalm 22, David says, they have pierced my hands and my feet. In Isaiah 53, it says there that uh, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And so we come to Golgotha. We come to where the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, was taken and nailed to a bloody cross. There the Lord Jesus paid the price, fulfilling this picture and the hopes and promises we have from God. And all who believe in him have the forgiveness of his atonement. You say, but Brother Sam, what about those people before he came? Same deal for them. It was always by faith. 
You say, what do you mean? Whether it was Abraham, Moses, David, or Daniel, they had faith that anticipated what God would provide in the Messiah. From where we are now, this side of the cross, we have the faith of Abraham that appropriates what God has provided in the Messiah. And therefore, those with that faith in him, in the provision of God, have that forgiveness and new life. Now, it's at this point, at, a, at the end of the second cup, we hold up the shank bone of the lamb, remembering the redemption. We saw not only why we needed to be redeemed, the bitterness of bondage, but the means of redemption through the lamb that God had provided. At this point, the family would enjoy a meal before we conclude with the third and fourth cups. While they're eating their meal, I want to ask for your prayers on their behalf. Uh, we, our ministry, were the Messiah. It's a worldwide work. Uh, we're, we're reaching out all over. Our headquarters is in Charlotte. And yes, we are planting congregations. That's what we do. We plant congregations all around the world amongst Jewish people in wherever they may be found. And so you say, well, what does that mean? That means we need your prayers. We need your prayers. We're one body of Christ. And along with that bulletin, there was this envelope. Take it out for just a quick moment. I want to point your attention to it. And while I'm giving this part before we start with the third cup, you'll notice our website and other information so you can download, get more stuff to enjoy and also employ for the sake of the gospel. But we want your prayers uh, if you fill out this envelope and place it in the plate at the end, we'll be delighted to send you our monthly newsletter. You can hear what God's doing here and around the world. Isn't it wonderful what God is doing? Let me mention to you something of great significance. There haven't been this many Jewish people that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus. There haven't been this many Jewish people that have come to faith since the first century. God is doing a work in our day. We just got back from Israel. Isn't it wonderful? Israelis are coming to faith in Jesus. Isn't that great news? That is wondrous news. God is doing a work in our day. And where God's at work is where we want to be at work. Pray for us. Over in Israel, we're planting congregations. We're seeing go on in every city. We are planting confidence, sending out planters into the field, doing evangelism. It's like a stocked pond, I tell you. We're seeing great opportunities. Pray for us, brethren. Going back again. Why? A little bit more work has to get done. Going back to England. Uh, why? Because it's in desperate straits. Once ascending nation, they sent missionaries. Now they're in desperate need of missionaries. Pray for us as we want to be reaching out to the hundreds of thousands of Jewish people there as well. You say, but what about us? That's why our headquarters in this country are reaching out all over. We had, we had planters conferences in Texas and also in Phoenix. All, we're having another one in New York City. You say, in New York City? God hasn't given up on them, don't you? Pray for us, brethren. We'll also be having Middle Atlantic States Conference in July. We want to get more planters out here and around the world. Pray for us, brethren. We're believing God for great and mighty things. Because what is needed in this country is revival. Pray for us, brethren. We must get the gospel out. You say, to the Jew first? Absolutely. But not to the Jew only. 
God loves us all, and he loves us all exactly the same. So pray for us as we bring the good news. Lots of free literature on the table in the foyer. Let me mention a couple of not-so-free pieces of literature, if I may. Uh, on the table, the best books are written by my wife. Uh, one of the books that was used in the women's ministry last year, I think she spoke at your ladies' night, uh, one of the books, Honoring God, is used in women's ministries all over the world. It teaches about how women are to be mentoring other women from Titus 2. And so it'll be really exciting. Her other books are on the table too. Wonderful stuff that she produces. What I'm speaking from is not only uh, given more fully, of course, in the Haggadah, as I noted, uh, but much more developed, not only Passover, but all the festivals of Israel, all seven of them, all speak about Jesus just like the Passover. Because they all were intended by God to point out our redemption through those festivals. All of them pointing to Jesus. From Passover salvation to tabernacles glorification. It's exciting to read all about it beyond the table. You say, but Brother Sam, I don't like to read books. Well, that's okay. We have it on DVD just for you. You are without excuse. But anyway, a lot of other books and materials on the table to help you in your witness and in your walk. But pray for us, brethren. You say, but Brother Sam, it's an envelope. Well, I know that. But let me make it real clear to you. The work that we do, we go into communities, we bring the good news, we believe God's word, there is a remnant according to God's gracious choice, Romans 11:5. We bring the good news, and there is a remnant that comes to faith, glory to God. And then we plant a congregation there and around the world. And so understand the work we are in. We believe in the ministry of the local congregation. We believe in the ministry of this congregation. Do not give any money to our work that will be taken away from your proper giving to your home congregation. It's always your first priority, brethren. You'll break my heart if you do that. And only as the Lord has abundantly blessed you above your normal giving and then leads you accordingly, in that regard, we'll be thankful for your prayerful consideration of our evangelistic and church planting work here and around the world. You say, but Brother Sam, you talk funny. I, I, well, uh, that, I come from, uh, you know, South Charlotte. <laughs> that would account for that. But, of course, I, I grew up in New York, but I repented all the way down to Charlotte. <laughs> now, that is a lot of repenting, my dear brothers and sisters. Uh, maybe I repented about a half hour too far, I think. I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. But in any case, we want you to be praying for us. Fill out the envelope, place in the plate, send you our newsletters, so you can be praying for us, rejoicing with us, and weeping with us as well as we're bringing the good news here and around the world. Now, we knew when the meal was ending, the kids were looking for that broken piece of unleavened bread. When they found it, they got the reward from the head of the house. And then the head of the house would take it out, and it takes a new significance. For here, at the end of the meal, after the supper, it's the last item to be eaten. It is therefore has the significance of being reminding us of the last sacrifice for our redemption, the Lamb the lamb and the head of the house taking this symbol of the lamb 
would then break off a little piece for each one around the table because now we would partake in that redemption symbol of what God provided. We would partake of this along with the third cup, the cup of redemption. It is this cup and this piece of bread that the Lord Jesus utilized to establish the Lord's Supper. This is what he used, a piece of bread and the third cup. And what a joy for our souls to have this reminder. You say, well, Brother Sam, I, I feel the need from what you're saying uh, to have that salvation. So I, I guess I better eat a piece of the bread and drink from the, the cup also. Won't help. You do not get saved. You cannot have salvation from eating the bit of bread or drinking from the cup. You say, well, what are you talking about? You don't get saved at the third cup. You get saved by way of the first two cups. Remember that first cup? Remember we pictured what God has done for us that we can never do for ourselves. How the middle piece was broken on our behalf. Remember that? But remember that was not enough. Remember the second cup when we realized not only did the lamb have to be slain, but the blood had to be applied. No good if unapplied. If all the lambs of Egypt were slain, but the blood was not applied, there would be no redemption. The blood has to be applied. You say, what do you mean? Understand for our lives the fact that the Messiah has come. The Lord Jesus has died for our sins. Does you no good whatsoever unless his blood is applied to your heart's door? Unless you have personally trusted in who he is and what he has done for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so we want to recognize the desperate need each one of us have if we have not yet trusted in him, in his atonement. That's why it says in Revelation 3.20, stands at the door and he knocks. If anyone will open the door, he will come in and fellowship with him. How does he know what door to knock on? It's the door without the blood. He wants to come in. He wants that blood applied to your life to have fellowship with you now and forever. Forgiveness, hope, love, life, now and forever. And we must do that quickly. Because the Passover ends on the fourth cup. The fourth cup, uh, called the cup of praise, you'll notice that, the cup of praise. Uh, considering the matter that it's the cup of praise, as the fourth cup is called, I want you to notice that in many homes it's not called the, the cup of praise. Hallel. Hallel means praise. Like hallelujah, praise the Lord. Hallel means praise. But many homes don't call it the cup of praise. You know why? At the end of the meal, they realize that the seat is still empty. That the cup before it is untouched. And therefore, they realize Elijah has not come this year. And therefore, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior will not come this year. And we must wait another year. And so the family ends Sometimes, it doesn't always sound like praise because it's like a lament. 
as the family cries out at the end of the meal, L'shana haba be'yerushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year in the city of peace. Next year, may the prince of peace come next year. Next year. Why next year? Because those who only know tradition and don't know the truth, that empty seat is reflecting an empty heart. What's your heart like? It is this fourth cup that the Lord decided not to drink with his disciples until he drinks it with them in the kingdom. And that's why it says the blessing you'll notice under the fourth cup for what it says there, I will take you as my people. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are waiting for the upper taker. But that's only because we're prepared. There is no participation without proper preparation. Is your heart prepared? Have you trusted in what he has done? Or have you trusted in ceremonies? And you'll just get through this morning thing, oh, another Sunday morning ceremony. Or will this be a reminder to you of what God has provided and you have received by faith in Jesus. So we partake of that cup and the bread. It's a reminder, even as we proclaim his death until he comes. Will it be a reminder or just irrelevant to you? Don't let it be that way. God wants you to have new life, forgiveness, a relationship with him now and forever by simple faith in him. So he might leave here this day to be the heralds of the Lord, to declare great news to a desperate world, to declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Believe on the Lord Jesus that you might be saved. Let's pray right now. Before I turn it over to my dear brother, Pastor Scott, for the sake of the Lord's Supper, I want to just encourage you, even now, to yield your heart to him. I'm going to close with a simple prayer of dedication. If this prayer reflects the need of your soul, the need of your heart, I want you to repeat it with me in your heart. God hears your heart. We need words. He hears your heart. Every thought is heard by God. You say, well, will this prayer save me? Prayer cannot save you but it will focus your faith on Jesus if you're sincerely trusting in him through this prayer. And so in your heart, if you have not trusted in him, use this prayer that you might be able to have new life by faith in him and partake in this Lord's Supper as a testimony of that salvation. If you're already a believer, but there is leaven in the loaf, unconfessed sin. There is anger and lust and habits and selfishness in your heart. Even now, use this prayer to rededicate your life, to live for him. Whatever your need is, God hears your heart. Repeat this prayer with me in the depth of your soul. Dear God, forgive me for my pride my arrogance, my rebellion, for my selfishness, for my anger, for my fears. Cleanse my sins away 
through the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, your Son. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And while everybody's eyes are still closed in prayer to concentrate and your hearts are open to God, I just want to pray for you right now, right where you're seated, right where you are. If you prayed that prayer, whether you're down here in the balcony, you prayed that prayer sincerely to have Jesus be your Savior this morning, right where you're seated, I want to pray for you. Right where you are, just raise your hand once. My eyes are open, everyone else closed. Right where you are, just raise your hand once so I can pray for you. I see your hand, yes. I see your hands up there as well, sure. I see your hands, absolutely. Right where you are, just raise your hand once so I can close in prayer for you. Right where you are. Amen, amen. Father, you see hands, you see hearts. You know us and you love us. Thank you, Lord. Even now, confirm to our hearts not only the truth of our salvation, the fullness of salvation we have, but may your love grip us that we might be your instruments of good news to others. Thank you for all we have in Jesus. It's in his name. We give thanks. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord for those who prayed and trusted Jesus as their Savior this morning. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. And if you did pray that prayer with me for one reason or the other, there's a place to note that on the envelope. We want to pray for you. Even as I know your pastor wants to pray for you. Let him know what God's doing in your life as well. But pray for us, brethren. God bless you, and shalom.